Hello and welcome. Bienvenido. Hello. And assalamu alaikum. Welcome to AO Access to Success, the podcast series developed by the AO Access Task Forces to broaden your perspectives for personal and professional development. Today's podcast is hosted by Dr. Samantha Morello, the lead for the AO Access Task Force, Faculty and Leader Development. My name is Dr. Sam Morello. I'm a large animal veterinary surgeon, a member of the AOVet North America faculty, and the lead member of the Faculty and Leader Development Task Force for AO Access. Here at AO Access, we've created this podcast series, Access to Success, to help facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of clinicians as leaders. If it's your first time with us, welcome to the show, and if you're a returning listener, thanks for tuning back in. Today, it's my pleasure of welcoming our two guests, Brad Johnson and Dave Smith, to discuss the topic, Leadership is Allyship. Brad Johnson is a professor of psychology at the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the U.S. Naval Academy and a faculty associate at the Graduate School of Education at Johns Hopkins University. He's an award-winning mentor with Distinguished Mentor Awards from the National Institutes of Health and the American Psychological Association. He's also the author of more than 130 journal articles and book chapters, many on the topic of mentoring, and 14 books in the areas of mentoring, gender in the workplace, and professional ethics. Dave Smith is an associate professor in the Johns Hopkins University Cary Business School. A former Navy pilot, Dr. Smith led diverse organizations of women and men, cultivating in a command of a squadron in combat and flew more than 3,000 hours over 30 years, including combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Dr. Smith is the author of numerous journal articles and book chapters, many on the topic of gender and women in the workplace. Together, they're the co-authors of Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, and Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. So thanks to both of you for being here today. I think it's a great topic that you've taken on. You know, one of the important things about bringing women into spaces where they aren't and promoting them through the leadership ranks that's really important is engaging the men who are already in their spaces to be their advocates and be their allies. But I'm really interested in what it was that motivated you to get started thinking about and researching how men can be more inclusive leaders and better mentors and allies for women. So what's your really personal connection to this work? How'd you get started? Great question, Sam, and, and thanks for having us today. And you know, I think this is one of the ones that as men, we often get asked, and I think maybe sometimes surprisingly or not by women, but I think it's a great question about the, the why we're engaged in doing this work, why we're interested, why we're motivated to do this work. And, you know, for, for me and, and Brad, we both have a research connection to this work, but just seeing some of the research and understanding some of the challenges that are there and the evidence and the data in the workplace. And, and it's, it's really clear that even today in 2022, that we and women just don't have the same opportunities and access and the, the same you know, levels of representation, in the senior leadership ranks, even pay equity is, is still an issue today. And, and I think that's one of the things that Brad and I look at and we 
you know, are interested in, in trying to find ways to engage men in this. Because I think one of the challenges we see is that men look at this and they hear, you know, these are women's issues or gender issues. And they often will look at it and go, hmm, that's not, there's not a place for me there. It's not a role or a function. And so they often will not engage in doing this work or don't see where they can make a difference in doing it. And so they don't. But I think if we reframe this as leadership issues, for Brad and I, there's also a personal connection to doing this work. And for me, you know, it started with my beginning of my career in the Navy and my wife, uh, my partner, she also was a career naval officer. And we both had interesting experiences along the way, but we would often have conversations about how the challenges and the things that we were experiencing in the workplace. And it became very clear to me early on that she was having very different experiences, barriers and challenges thrown up in front of her, um, not getting the same access to opportunities that I was. And looking, you know, at my own experiences in the workplace, I could see where that was happening to other women. And so for me, that was one of those things that got in touch with that sense of fairness and justice to, to do this work. Yeah. And I, I would just add for me, same thing. I, I have researched mentoring relationships my whole career. And I've always seen the data showing that women don't get sponsored as part of a mentoring relationship as compared to men. And I've always been curious about why men don't engage, why they don't lean across the gender difference, why they feel anxious about doing that sometimes. You know, So there's that kind of academic curiosity for me. And then, the, you know, like Dave, I have a personal case. You know, I teach at the Naval Academy where we have a very minoritized group of remarkable women who I get to interact with frequently. And again, I, I, I see them uh, perhaps in a way that men who don't get to have the experience of working with these amazing young women don't appreciate. And, and so I I have a sense of fairness and equity triggered by my experiences with high talent women. I've also got a sister in the Navy and I've, I watch her experiences are quite different than mine in terms of obstacles and roadblocks she faces. So like Dave, there's a, both a personal and an academic case for us. Yeah, so it really was a very personal sort of um, path that led you to this. One of the things I really liked about this background or your introduction for us is the idea that this isn't just a women's issue. This is a leadership issue. This is everybody's issue. And um, it sounds like that's part of the messaging that you try to take on in this overall reframing of the problem. And maybe that makes it more digestible for some of the individuals that you're talking to. So when you're promoting the idea of allyship to engage, you know, a wider and specifically, I guess, more male audience, how is it that you define an ally? I think that that word gets thrown around a lot. It's an important word, but I don't think it's always well understood. So what's your definition of an ally? And if you could describe two or three really key things that make excellent male allies and mentors, what are they? Yeah, maybe I'll begin really quickly. And Dave, this is always a hard question, Sam, because we have like a hundred things we want to communicate. Um, but just in terms of your first part of your question, what is allyship? You know, in all the research Dave and I did for good guys, interviewing lots and lots of women across industries and professions, we, we sort of, and asking them behavioral questions like, what has it looked like for you when a guy really shows up as an ally? What did you really appreciate? Their responses sort of fell into three big categories. You know, one, 
is interpersonal. This is how I show up and hold myself accountable in relationships, the way I engage with women myself in the workplace. Category two was the public piece of this. So how do I show up as an advocate loudly and publicly for women? Uh, and, and also, how do I show up as a disruptor when things are not okay, where there's bias or sexism, things are said in a meeting? How do I show up that way? And then the third was systemic allyship. So how do I show up as a disruptor within the organization when there are policies and procedures and practices that are not working for women. And, you know, it's creating an unequal workplace. How do I show up in that area? I'll just share a couple on the interpersonal side. And I know Dave will have some. So on the interpersonal piece, you know, uh, how I show up and hold myself accountable. How about listening? I, I think Dave and I were shocked at how many women in our interviews said, guys, could you just learn to listen? And And I think men often don't listen generously. We, we listen with the intent just to fix her or fix her problem and not actually listen really to let, to be a sounding board and, and really listen generously about her experiences. A second is don't make assumptions about women, right? Because she's a woman, she must want to do this or she'd never be interested in doing this in her career. I can get off the tracks very, very easily when I'm making assumptions versus actually listening and discerning. And then finally, how about the inclusion? I mean, just simple. Am I really thoughtful about who's in that meeting? Who's at that social event? Who got the invite? Who didn't? I, I think very often we men don't include women, and, and it's a really easy lift to make sure that she's included in whatever we're doing, especially when key conversations are going to occur. Yeah, I think a lot of those that you hear in the interpersonal um, are really surrounding the idea of developing awareness. And this is really important for, for men, especially majority men who may not have the, uh, an understanding of the experiences of, of women and others who don't look like them. And I think so understanding how other people experience the workplace differently is really helpful because in many ways, men told us that it's really challenging for them to fix problems or to, to be part of the solution in ways that they don't really understand. And so the, all of these things that Brad just mentioned around the interpersonal are really there to help us develop that awareness. But once we've developed it, now we have to put it into action. This is the public allyship. And this is really crucial for, for men to begin doing. And, and it can start with the, as Brad mentioned, the public advocacy and sponsorship and really being a, a vocal uh, ally very publicly, being a raving fan and talking about the great things that women are doing, even when they're not in the room. And I think that's an important one, bringing her along to different meetings, exposure, all these opportunities, pushing her forward and nominating her, and maybe even when she doesn't think she's ready yet. So these are things that we can be doing because we do these already for other men. We need to do them the same way for, for women. The other part is a little more challenging. And I think this is the part that men uh, become more uncomfortable with. And this is the disruption. Uh, again, as we see bias or we see things around sexism happening in the workplace, as we're developing that awareness, now we have to act on it and do something about it, decide in the moment how we're going to handle that. And doing something is really important because we know that bystander paralysis is real in the research and that if we don't do anything within a few seconds, we probably are not going to do anything. And people automatically will start to look around and decide you know, whether I should say something or not. And, we find that if you just say anything, and we love to recommend the ouch technique, is just just say ouch right there in the moment. It buys you a few more seconds. 
Uh, people are going to start to awkwardly look at you and then you can decide what you want to say. And when, when you decide how you want to respond, it's really important to start with I statements, own it. You know, what you just said, I found to be d demeaning to my female colleagues. I didn't appreciate that or I don't agree with that or uh, I was offended by that. But something that starts to show that you own it, not what we tend to find where it's like, oh, Brad, no, don't say that. A you know, Amy's here in the room. And so we can't do it that way. The final part of this, the systemic allyship is important, too. And this is we can think about where can we see where bias is operating in an everyday practice that we have that creates inequities like the lack of representation of women in the senior leadership ranks or the pay equity gap. And this can happen a variety of different ways. But the employment processes and evaluation processes, promotion processes are, are rife with opportunities to begin to look and see where where are there examples of where bias is operating? And once I see where that is, then how do I change that? How do I change that practice so we can eliminate those systemic inequities? Those are great answers. And it's a lot of information, I think, for everybody to digest. But also, I love the ouch technique. I'm going to share that with some people after we're done today. You know, you both use the word disruption a lot. It's an important word. Um, and it's really what you're, we're all focused on doing. What do you think the biggest things uh, other than fear, and maybe fear is the biggest one. And if so, I think that's important to understand. What do you think the biggest barriers are for people to want to disrupt or feel comfortable? with disrupting or to actually affect disruption, even if they sit in your room and they're shaking their heads, yes, and yes, yes, Dave, yes, Brad, you're right, but then they go, don't go out and do it. What, what are those barriers? So first, there's the kind of the assumption, right, that we actually see or hear these things around us. And this is kind of understanding kind of the status quo of, of the world that we live in. And we like to think about it as every space that we come into, we, we're kind of having to sift through the ambient environment there to be able to pick up on it. Because I think that the, one of the, the major challenges here is just being aware that, oh, there was something about the, what was said there that was not right. It didn't, it didn't land right. It was offensive in some way. It was biased or whatever. So half the battle can often be the just breaking the barrier of the status quo and, and recognizing that something was said there that it didn't land or was done there that didn't land right. I think there's another piece to this, and this is the feedback to to allies and, and a great group of allies. Um, we provide feedback to people because we have blind spots, and sometimes we're saying or doing things that don't land in a way that we intended. Assuming people have good intentions here, we can approach them and let them know that, hey, when you know when you said that today in the meeting and all the women rolled their eyes, here's why. It's like, wow, you know, I didn't realize that that was happening or that I was having that. That was not the desired impact or effect. And so, again, I think as allies, we can disrupt the status quo for each other by recognizing and pulling, you know, pulling that information forward so we see it. Yeah. And one other thing here, Sam, I think it's really important. There's some really good research showing that men tend to overestimate the extent to which other men in the room agree with that sexist bias comment. Too often men believe that other men are okay with that. And it just takes one guy especially when there's, you know, when women are minoritized, there's only one or two in the room and a bunch of men, it takes one guy to say ouch or disrupt or own it. And then suddenly what you find is other men come unstuck, they come unfrozen and they agree. Yeah. And, and that can be sort of the breakthrough, but it, it takes somebody to get through that bystander paralysis. And let's not forget a lot of men 
are afraid of the wimp penalty, as it were. They're afraid of losing their man card. You know, if they if they somehow align with women and disrupt sexism, that somehow they'll be devalued as men. And and again, I got to have the courage to push through that. Those are all great points. And actually, for men, I think probably hearing what you just said specifically, Brad, is a is a probably, um, help, you know, just that education is probably very helpful and insightful um, in, in that process. You know, one of the things that I think it's talked about in the in the larger space of bias training, whether it's gender, race, um, ethnicity, is that concept of moral licensing, right? You sit in a room, you learn about these things, and then you're like, you know, so I'm trained now, it's not my problem. And one of the things I think that has been talked about a lot with regards to um, men and moral licensing is the idea that those of you that have wives, daughters, um, uh, that makes people a good feminist. You know, you've both given some very specific personal examples of how having um, family members in uh, in your institutions, in your structures, and watching how they go through that process was really informative for you. And that's that's that was actually a very powerful part of understanding how you came to the place that you're at. But that's not unilaterally true for every man in society that has a wife or a daughter, um, that they have a great understanding of what feminism and, and mentorship um, and allyship is. So for you, it's, it's clear how that personal life experience plays in. But for others, how do you see that narrative shaping up and being both helpful and sometimes not helpful in that space? I mean, how do we tell the difference? And how do we engage in those conversations when people use that element as that moral license? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to let Dave answer this in just a minute because uh, among the two of us, only one of us has a daughter. And so, Dave, Dave, I'm going to give him more of the time here. But I, I, let me just say that this was sort of an eye opener for us on our journey, Sam. And I'm really glad you're asking about this because we do see men do this a lot. When Dave and I are speaking at a big event, often a male you know, maybe somebody senior in the company or organization will introduce us. And as part of his introduction, he always manages to slip in. And by the way, I have a daughter, so I really care about women and, and I'm concerned. And I think what I've learned about this is that for some men, that is a kind of pivotal moment. You know, he was sort of oblivious before. And then as he started watching his daughter get ready to move into life and education in the workplace, he starts getting more concerned and having more empathy. And that's just part of his journey. And David, I might describe that as part of his ally awakening or, or awareness about equity in the workplace. But to your point, when women hear that, Many women can roll their eyes, and I understand that, and say, really, dude, you had to have a daughter just to get interested in equity and fairness and justice. And yeah, and I think men need to be sensitive to that. They can't use the daughter narrative as an excuse for other behavior that is is not inclusive or you know is not promoting equity. So that status as a father alone is not enough. You actually have to show up in an act allyship in your behavior and let women decide if you're an ally. Don't self-label. Don't say, because I have a daughter, I'm a real ally for women. You have to do the work. And that, that's got to come out in your actual practice. But Dave, as a, as a father, what's your response? Yeah, I, I had to ask you how many times you've ever heard me go up on stage and talk about my daughter. 
<laughs> almost never, right? And and that's not because I, t- I don't think she's an important part of that. It's it's not. It's more than that. And I th- I think what Brad was alluding to with the the motivational piece is there is often a personal connection to this work. And Brad and I shared ours, but there, there's more to that story as well. But for everybody, it, it may be a family member, but it could also be a, it could be a mentor, it could be a mentee, it could be a colleague at work, it could be somebody who you're close to who shares these experiences and kind of opens your eyes. This is that developing that awareness. And it's, that's what we find that gets in touch with that sense of fairness and justice that motivates people to do this work. So the personal connection is really important when we think about how do we get people to be better allies. And we're right now focused from a you know men and women perspective, but we could broaden that conversation out even more. And you could see how that would apply even more. But I think the other parts of this are important too. And we, we hear the motivational reason for why men do this work. And it also includes things like understanding that this is not just good for, for women broadly, but it's good for my organization. It's good for my company. It's good for the business. They understand the bottom line issues that go with it. They understand that it makes the workplace just a better place to be. And it makes us more creative and innovative and better decision makers. And so they understand the business case for this too. But then they also often will tie that back to their own leadership brand. This is part of who I am as a leader. I see being fair and equitable and just with my people, all the people that I work with, my colleagues, my boss, my employees. It's just part of who I am and what I do. And so as they think about what the right thing to do is, they look at that and equate that with who they are as a leader. And I think that's a really great way to think about it as well. And of course, there's lots of people out there who, who again, think about this from a social justice perspective that, you know, this is important, important work that we need to be doing. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the motivation to do it that way as well. But yeah, Brad and I love to uh, just kind of stay away from the labeling. They, hey, I'm, I'm an ally or I'm a feminist or whatever the case might be. Do the work. Let, let others judge you on your, on your work and, and call you that if they desire. Do the work. I like that. So you've talked a little bit about, you know, men being disruptors, both in a larger sense and also at that sort of moment to moment level, right? Like when they see evidence of bias and discrimination in a, in a meeting, in the workplace, all those things. We haven't actually talked a lot about how women interact, how women come into play, right? Like, what is your best advice for how women can seek out male mentors, how women who don't feel supported by their male colleagues can affect that change in their organizations, in their workplaces? If the men have not come on board with this narrative, with these changes, what can women do to sort of be self-empowered if the men in the organization need a little bit of help from the other side? Great question. And and again, I think remembering that in the definition of allyship, you know, we always talked about this as a collaboration or a partnership from the perspective of gender of men with women, in this case, and women with men. And that this is not about doing something for women, to rescue women. We, we just want to stay away from that messaging completely. Yeah, there's lots of different ways that this can happen. And, and I think uh, one of the ways that we commonly see this will, will start to bubble up and is around like a, a women's infinity group or employee resource group. And great places where women have long gathered to kind of have a space where they could talk about some of the challenges and they could network and they could do all the things that they needed to do to provide community for themselves and to help themselves move forward. But there have been men who've worked with women in those ERGs over the years. And today we find even more men being involved. And 
these are people who, again, they already have the motivation to do the work. They're there. They're there, hopefully showing up in a space that uh, recognizing this has been a woman's space for a long time and that we as men were not there to uh, to save the day or to solve their problems. We're there to listen, to learn, to understand, develop that awareness, and then think about how do we come alongside and partner with them? What are the things that we could be doing to collaborate, to create the change in the workplace that we're looking for that would be better for everyone? And I think Women's ERGs is a great place to start. And for the men out there who have not attended or been a part of a Women's ERG, here's a great opportunity to think about how can I, how can I join that? be a part of those discussions, their programming and their initiatives and the work that they're doing. So that's one great place. The other thing is just thinking about who are some of those guys that you know in your workplace that they already kind of get it. They're those guys who probably have a already have a base level understanding. They're known for this. It's part of their leadership brand, who they are as a person. Um, and, and start with them and think about the little, what are the small things that we could do in a, in a meeting situation? For example, if you're can you partner up on a on a project or an initiative to try to work through some of the challenges that you know might be put up in front of you if you're the woman leading those things? And but find ways to partner and to collaborate. I think is a great way to do it. And last thing I would add, Sam, just on the micro interpersonal level for women really looking to leverage relationships with men. First of all, with mentoring, just you know, think about initiating conversations with men because let's not forget some men are anxious about this still. You know, even in the year 2022, some men have anxiety about interacting with women in the workplace or afraid because of me too or who knows. So go to him and make the contextualized ask. You know, hey, I, I saw you had this experience, maybe Maybe you did a fellowship in this area. Could I get on your calendar and we'll do coffee? I'd just like to learn more about that. Often those informal exchanges are the way great informal mentoring begins versus going to him and saying, will you mentor me, right? Feels like a huge relationship ask. And so I always encourage those small contextualized asks to begin with. And then finally, to Dave's point, when you see men doing the work, really showing up, when he disrupts in a meeting, there are men who do that and don't even realize they're showing up as allies in a powerful way. So sometimes if a woman comes to me after that and says, hey, when you did that today, I really appreciated it. And here's why. It's it's kind of an epiphany for me. Oh, I didn't realize that was so helpful. But now that I'm aware of it, I'm going to start doing it more um, because I'm Maybe I just didn't see the impact before she shared it with me. Great. Thank you. Before we close out, I'm going to ask each of you to share if you could define the one thing that you most hope is the change, the one behavior, I guess, or the one um, structural change that you, as you write your books and you publish your papers and you go out and you do your speaking and you spread your really important and really progressive and strong message, what do you hope that change is? If there's only one change that comes out of it, what do you hope that change is? Yeah, I'm going to share my one from our interview with Sheryl Sandberg at Facebook. And she was very strong about this. She said, I want men to do one thing differently, and that is sponsor women loudly. And so I think in all of the work I do, if more men would show up in the workplace and uh, because we see those talented junior women around us, I mean, we all see them. So my question to men is, are you her loud champion? Are you talking about her wins and her talent and her potential? And when an opening is coming up, 
Are you putting her name out there, even when she's not there to hear you? Are you her raving fan? We men need to get more comfortable with loudly sponsoring women. And for me, this might come as a shock to some of the men out there, but you know what? If you're going to be an ally in the workplace, you got to start at home. I mean, the, the research and the data is really clear that we have to begin this revolution at home in many ways. And for far too long, you know, women have done the majority of the domestic responsibilities and household, the caregiving, all of that. Um, and the pandemic made it worse. It exacerbated that. It's even even two to three times worse than it was before. And, you know, as, as guys, often we think we're, we're doing everything we need to be doing at home or our fair share, but often we haven't checked in to see how well are we doing at that. So encourage the, the men that are listening today to go home. If you're not sure if you're being an all in equal ally at home, go home and do a, a domestic audit. Ask your partner, uh, how am I doing? And are there places that I could be doing more? And when you get that feedback, um, don't push back. Think about how you can start implementing that today. Uh, the other thing that's really clear is that it makes a difference, for, not only if you're married to a woman, supporting her career, but it also, it's helpful for your kids uh, if you have children. And so the next generation out there is watching us as parents role model this behavior. And we find again in the research that for our sons, they have a more inclusive perspective of gender roles when they get into the workplace. If they have a dad who's been an all in equal ally along the way, for our daughters are more likely to persist in their careers, reach those career goals and go into non-traditional professions and industries. So if we're gonna get to real gender equity in the workplace, we gotta start modeling at home too. What a way to end. Dave Smith, Brad Johnson, thank you both so much for being here, for sharing your research and your time. Your perspectives today provide us with some really useful guidance for organizations, for our various workplaces, and actually, as it turns out, even for our home life. So making sure that we can continue to find the space to have conversations like this, where we can weave all the various parts of what contributes to sustainable and effective healthcare is critical to push us forward, help us do our jobs better, and provide the best care for our patients. Thanks for listening, and please continue to look for our AO Access to Success podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more great minds and great discussions like the ones you heard today. Thank you for listening to the AO Access to Success podcast series. Be sure to visit our webpage to facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of leadership at AO Foundation, who we are, about AO, AO access, to join the conversation. Mm -hmm.